For a lot of reasons, this is one of my favorite parts of the uh, Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, but I did want to just mention... Uh, <laughs> sometimes you can find... So, sometimes you find them on, uh, on Facebook. One of the things about Facebook is uh, you're kind of out there uh, for everybody to see. Uh, this was funny. Uh, just finished eating raw chicken breast. Someone owes me 20 bucks. I guess it was a bet. Uh, you're going to die, dude. Salmonella for sure. <laughs> I ate chicken, not salmon, dude. <laughs> uh, okay. Now everybody knows. start, if we can, uh, with Oliver Cowdery. And I tried to blow this picture up. This is an actual photograph of Oliver Cowdery. And there's something, and I, I think I mentioned last time, something very engaging as I look at his face and I look at his eyes. Something very engaging about Oliver. Um, but let's, let's uh, if we can start, if you go to uh, DNC 6, Because this is going, we're going to be talking a lot about Oliver and about prayer uh, today. Okay, somebody got uh, 29 through 31. And feels in fine voice on a Monday morning. Thank you.
here that Oliver Cowdery would have gone to Carthage with the Prophet Joseph and laid down his life instead of Hiram. That would have been his right. That may sound a little strange to speak of the martyrdom as being a right, but it was a right. Okay? So when the Savior is initially saying to him, you will, if they do unto you as they did unto me, and they, and what he's saying is, and they might do unto you as they do unto, did unto me, because they will do it unto Joseph, and the question is who will be with Joseph when he's killed. Yes. And Joseph feels expensive as a descendant of Hyrule. Yeah, he is. Puts his own line in Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I know. So he's, he's, very, he's recognizing that it would have been Oliver's right to be that person to give his blood as a, as a testator for the, for the testimony of the gospel. Okay? Uh, Oliver won't make that. There, there are going to be a number of reasons and when we get to, we start talking about the far west, we'll go through some of the reasons that Oliver kind of stepped off the bus for a little while. But Oliver, just like Martin, just like David Whitmer, never, ever, ever denied what he knew. Uh, now, so let's, let's uh, I want to, I uh, when, when we start looking at these sections of the Doctrine and Covenants, one of, one of the lessons we want to make sure that we get. We said last time that before you can actually look clearly at the Doctrine and Covenants or a section, what do you need to know? before you're going to really understand that section. The question. What question was asked that prompted the revelation? Once you know that in the historical context, you go, oh, then that explains why this is being said the way it is. Okay? So, I want you to look at the top of section 6. Because here's the question. What was the question that prompted section 6? What about revelation? Okay, there's a revelation that's given through Joseph to Oliver. By the way, it was, it was done at Oliver's request. Oliver had asked Joseph for a revelation. Okay, what was it that Oliver wanted to know? What was the question? No, not so much. Sort of that, sort of that. Huh? Okay, what about the plagues? Or if you want to know if he could translate, if he could help. Because what had happened is Oliver, when he had met the Smith family, and remember he was a school teacher up in Palmyra, and he's around the family, and they start talking about Joseph, who's kind of down, down in harmony, because they were getting harassed, and there's these plates and everything. Oliver would say later that he felt in his bones that he should be part of this work, which he thought was a little presumptuous. But uh, Mother Smith says that there may even have been a dream or a vision that he had where he saw the plates. Anyway, he gets down there, and what does he want to know more than anything? Should I be helping? Am I supposed to be somehow, not just as a true, am I supposed to be somehow part of this work because I keep thinking that I should be? I'm supposed to suspend everything else that I'm doing 
and, and somehow be involved in this work in some way. Maybe this came to the fact that he was more educated and he felt, well, certainly I could probably be better. Do I bring something to the table? Oh, absolutely. I'll, Joseph has a fifth grade education. And remember, Emma, who translated for him part of the time, said this man couldn't even finish a sentence. He was a horrible writer. And so somebody else was going to have to be do, being the scribe for him. And Emma had done some. And, uh, and his brother had done some. David Whitmer did some. And so he had his patchwork, but they just weren't getting it done. And now nine months has passed since he got the plates back and nothing is going on. And he's got to, we got to get moving here. Now, Joseph has also had a year to repent and to mature and grow, but he's got to get going. So Oliver said, I am a school teacher, I do write pretty well, but I think I should be involved in this. So that's the question, should I, should I help Joseph translate? Now, what's the answer? What answer does he get? Yeah. Yes, we've been waiting for you. Okay? Remember in the previous in the previous section the Lord saying to Joseph, stop and stand still. Help is on the way. I'm sending you. For all or he can now. If so, if this is the case, then shouldn't section one be one verse? Or one no, that's if you should translate. Yes. Thank you. See ya. It, should, it wouldn't take much more than that. But how many verses do we have in section 6? More than one. Okay. So what do we have between the question, I wonder if I should be involved, and yes, we've been waiting for you. About time. Well, the Lord in between those two things, and this is going to be the pattern for all the sections is there's going to be an answer to the question, but there's, he's also going to take this opportunity to teach us principles. He's teaching Oliver, he's teaching Joseph, who's receiving the revelation, and he's teaching us. The saints then as well as the saints now. So keep in mind, this was, and, and, and I think this is really kind of helpful to us, because don't we have questions? Don't we want to know things? And so he's about to give you some framework on which you get, how you're going to get answers to prayer. Yeah. And doesn't the Lord give us liberally when we ask? Yeah, we're just that. He just wanted yes. And what he's going to get us more. Let me keep, let me take this opportunity to give you far more than what you ever asked for. That's, that's the grace path, by the way. Grace says, I wanted this. He says, I'll give you that. And so much more. That's what I do. Okay? So, yeah. So let's talk about, there are some beautiful principles in trying to answer this question and prepare Oliver to get answers and to prepare us to get answers. Now we're going to be taught some principles that kind of lay the groundwork for us. Okay? Once you look at verse 2. Who's got verse 2? Okay, got that? Okay. Behold, I am God. Give heed unto my word, 
Now, that's why, and now he's going to give us an, even a better description, because that next phrase is kind of puzzling unless you actually think through it. My word is like a two-edged sword to the what? Dividing of... Isn't that odd? You know, okay, going to cut you off at the knees. You know, you're doing a, you know, legectomy here. It's dividing the righteous from the wicked. In what way? I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're going down the right path. That, that he's going to use the symbolism of dividing uh, uh, sinew from marrow. Or joint from marrow. Okay? Yeah? Because your marrow is what produces your red blood cells that produces light. Now you look. And where is it? It's inside, right? And where is the joint? And it's symbolic of? Movement, right? Okay, so let, let me have you hop to um, Helaman 3.29. Helaman 3.29. Yay! We see that whosoever will lay hold upon the Word of God, which is quick and powerful, which shall divide asunder the cunning and snares and wiles of the devil. That's what's being divided. Okay, so now we go back to that idea of the joint and the marrow. If the joint is symbolic of movement, of action, it's outwardness. Right? What would the marrow be? Live. And where do you find the marrow? Inside. So we're going to... One of the things that the Word of God will do will be to buy our actions from our intents. From our outside stuff and separate that from our inside stuff. Let me give you an example. What if we just sent, if our goal as a church was to, don't we want more converts? Don't we want to build up the kingdom? Why don't we drop the coffee and tea thing? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that result in more converts? If we would just, in, in Asian countries, uh, uh, all over the place, if we would just drop the tea and coffee thing. We might leave the alcohol thing in. But the coffee and tea is a little bit more... How come you guys don't drink tea and coffee? Well, there's this panic cast. You know, why don't we keep it... Why don't we drink tea and coffee? It's a commandment. Don't give me health things. We eat, we eat things that are worse than coffee and tea. <laughs> Did you go to chocolate night on the cruise? I did. <laughs> we love, why do we why do we not do coffee and tea? It's a commandment. But when, if the intent of what we wanted to do would be to bring in more converts, wouldn't it just be easier for the young present Boston just kind of repeal that we're leaving this part out? Coffee and tea's not okay. And then there'd be a lot of people that would want to 
Well, it's extremely clever, though, too. I mean, with the prevalence of coffee at work, yeah, having us drink coffee, it's, it's, I think it's just extremely clever. I think, I think sometimes Heavenly Father is extremely clever. Yeah. Because cool. it's very visible that we don't drink coffee. <laughs> but could you also, couldn't you also sneak it? Who would know if you're, if you're sneaking coffee? Okay. I went to Starbucks. Oh, I talked talk chocolate. <laughs> it's steam cider. They would make sure that they catch you. Yeah, they would. You'd actually draw and spill it and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It's not team coffee that keeps people from joining the church. Right. What is it? It's coming to the realization that God speaks through his prophet, that God and his son are in control of things. Yeah. It is it is a it is the doctrine and it's not the it is not the outward ordinances that keep people from joining the church. Exactly. And in other words, it's not those actions. And one of the things that what he's saying to you is that the word of God, when when you learn the word, it separates out all those outward actions from what are the real intents of your heart. And the harder a doctrine is to follow, you've got to reach down a little bit deeper, hold on to that, what is the intent of my heart? And if it's to be obedient and to trust the Lord, then I'm going to have to reach in a little bit deeper. And that's why the, God, that's why the Word is written on our innermost parts. The inside, it's not necessarily written on the outside. Yeah. There's a scripture in Hebrews Yeah. For the word of God is quick and it has down below living. Yeah, it lives. And powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and the discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Oh. Oh. Really? That's where? Hebrews 4 12. Oh, that's okay, good. And by the way, so this discerner, read that last line again. Yeah. Did you lost it? Okay, it's a discerner of thoughts and actions and intent. This is going to be at the key of what happens with Oliver in this in this next little period of time here. And so that's why I think he set this up really well to say, if you're going to if you're going to be getting answers from me. This is going to, I'm going to give you my word, but my word will ferret out your intent. How many times, by the way, when we start talking about why it is that we don't get answers to prayers, how many of us don't get answers to prayers? Because we don't want answers to prayers. We want an answer, but we're afraid we'll get the answer. What, we, what answer are we afraid we're going to get? The one we didn't want. So I'm not going to ask. Because then I'll get, and then I'll be on the hook for the answer. We don't, we don't always, because he's going to, I know, but, but, and I think I've said this before. How many of you are willing to pay for, pray for patience? <laughs> Why not? Why won't you pray for patience? Because you have this, you have this idea that says, if I pray for patience, what's going to happen? Now, here it comes. Buckle up, so I'm not about to do that. Yeah, I've done that before. Ain't going there. <laughs> See, and that's why we don't always... People say, well, I'm not getting answers to prayers. Do you really want the answer? It's going to require you to do some things. 
Do you, are you willing to do whatever he says? Yeah? As long as it fits with my plan, on my, on my timetable, and it fits neatly into my organized, color-coded schedule. <laughs> Just don't upset anything. If it might upset, then I, maybe I won't pray so much. And part of what the Word of God is, is it's going to come in and say, I'm going to find out what your intent is. your intent to look good? Is your intent to be comfortable? Or is your intent to really follow the Lord wherever He leads? What is your intent? And the Word of God will do that. And we get slashed with that two-edged sword. I'm grateful for revelation. I just didn't want that revelation. Okay, so we've got that part. We're now two verses in, right? <sighs> now verse 7. Seek not for riches. Now, uh, by way of history on this, you need to know that uh, Oliver Cowdery's father, as were so many at this time in upstate New York, uh, there was an awful lot of money digging going on. There was a lot, and it, it was two parts. It was not only is there treasure hidden hidden around, so there are people going around digging, uh, but they also believe that there were uh, demons or spirits that have been placed to guard the treasure. Uh, and Oliver Cowdery's dad, uh, as was Joseph's dad, obviously, uh, were kind of caught up in kind of that culture at the time, go dig for treasure. They'd left the coast of Massachusetts, they were working their way inland, they were much poorer, they were less established. If there was a way to get rich in a hurry, they would like to do that. I have a question. Yes. Why, why was that so prevalent? Why were they, why were people not just Joseph and his father and those people, but everyone? Everybody, it was, it was rampant. And I guess that's what I'm saying. If you, if you are the, uh, I know for instance that our, the Hinckley lineage, uh, started off in Barnstable, uh, Massachusetts. And then as they took property, uh, they actually went into Upper uh, Canada, which is where uh, Johnny Page taught them the Hinckley family gospels in Upper Canada. But in order to do that, they had to pull up from all their ancestral homes in Massachusetts and, and all those places. And now you're going to go in and you're trying to establish new home in the wilderness. And I think that's one of those times when um, uh, the, the idea of money and what would be a real prevalent one for them. They can't get excited about that. Do, do you think that they were looking for actual money or were they looking for ore? Like, no, that was money. It was a, then there was buried treasure. They believed that people had, that, that former, uh, that other people that had lived before had buried treasure and left it. Yeah. I, perhaps I'm too much of a conspiracy spirit. Yeah, but we, but, but we look past that. But the, uh, <laughs> if I was thinking, okay, and yes. I wanted to thwart the work, I would spread it abroad that there was treasure buried and be Joseph Smith looked like a treasure digger. Does that make sense? Yes. But because see, the, 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 
That's the sociological, anthropological answer. I think that's the real answer, which is then it just sets it up to, especially for people in modern day who don't know the whole circumstance would say, well, Joseph Smith was just a money digger kind of thing without knowing what a, without understanding the culture of all of that. That's the perfect answer, Tim. Yeah, yeah. But yet, it was all true. And this will be the first time we're going to hear this. We're going to hear this again. He and Sidney will go on a, uh, on a journey in a few months, uh, about a year, where are we? A couple of years. They, they will go to find treasure because the church is in trouble financially. They're going to go up to the Northeast to find treasure. And the Lord will say, despite your follies in trying to go find the treasure, there is treasure here. And it is converts. Seek not for riches, but for wisdom, Oliver. Did Oliver do some divining? Yeah, he did. Okay, but grew up with his dad, and so some of that was divining for water, some of that was divining for treasure. Seek not for riches, but for wisdom, and behold the... Wait a minute, stop. As members of the church, we're not supposed to seek for mysteries, are we? We're supposed to leave the mysteries alone. Right? No. Well, aren't you told that? You just want to... What's a mystery? A mystery is something that God has not yet revealed and it takes a revelation or inspiration to reveal it. So as members of the church, are we supposed to seek for mysteries? Yes. Are we supposed to stay away from the mysterious? Which way the pearly gates swing, right to left, left to right, left to left? Yeah. Well, mysteries are also things that are hidden. They are hidden. And, and in fact, that's one of the gifts. I will, I will teach you the mysteries. I will give you the mysteries. Okay? So seek not for riches, but for wisdom, and behold, the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto you, and then you shall be made rich. It's the prosperity gospel, right? The Lord intends you to have money. I, I, I think I went to a uh, kind of a get-rich scheme one night that some people invited us to. It's like, oh, just come over for dinner. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And here it comes. And, and the idea behind that was, uh, well, we're doing this because what we want to do is send our parents on missions and be able to visit every temple in the world. Oh, by the way, we'll be really, really rich. Uh, well, what about this company? Oh, the Lord loves this company. Just think how much tithing we pay. You know, when you start holding up the lightning rod, you go, okay, <laughs> I'm getting out of here. What's it, Amway? <laughs> holding, a, holding a rod up there. <laughs> and then ye shall be made rich, for behold, he that hath eternal life is rich. Seek for eternal life. And the Word of God is this dividing 
it will seek out that intent. What is your real intent? If you really want, in your innermost parts, you really want eternal life. Now, Oliver, now I will teach you about how to get at your prayers. Now, Latter-day Saints, check out your intent. What do you really want? If you want that, now you're in a place you, you can ask and receive answers to prayers. Does that make sense? Because again, we're, we're wondering about those times when we're not getting answers to prayer. I'm asking, he's not telling. I'm asking, he's not telling. Well, there may be reasons for that. Yeah. Uh, just goes with what you're saying about intent. If our intent is to look for mysteries and understand them, yeah. Um, because we're seeking eternal life, yeah. Then those mysteries are going to be opened up into us. If our intent is the intent is to attack those mysteries to point out why the gospel could not be true or whatever, yeah. then we are not going to find the answers to those mysteries. Or what if, what if our intent is, I, I want to know these things for the intent that I can stand up in gospel doctrine and go, <laughs> I know that answer. <laughs> yes, I, yes, I know that one and therefore I can, I can preach and, And, and that's, the, that's the order. And again, another time we're going to talk about this. But when we're trying to understand how to love and serve, we, we start by with God. Am I going to understand God? Then as a result of that, I will understand myself. And once I understand myself, then I'm in a position to understand others. Because it will flow through Him to me, to them. Yeah. Um, I think that's a common theme in Book of Mormon is that God's ways are not man's ways. Yes. Judah, that goes back to the idea of tally sticks 
and and uh, they're symbolums. They're, they are they're symbols. And again, if I if I if you and I are in have a, a contract between the two of us, we will take a stick. We'll mark. Maybe I'm selling you 50 goats. We'll put the marks for the 50 goats on here. I will then split the stick down the middle. You take half. I take half. Therefore, when we come back to transact, finish our transaction, we put the sticks together, and together they prove that we had the contract and nobody else could match that. Or even if I'm going to send my son, he'll have his half, my tally stick, he'll have your half, put them together, contract is done. Okay? Stick of Judah, stick of Joseph come together, and together they prove the contract. So there's a history of having these two things that come together. Okay? Now, think about what probably the case was with the Leahona, is that you had two spindles, rods. There were two rods on there, okay? And when they're not doing the right thing, or it's not time to move, what are the rods doing? They're not together. They're not together. What happens when they come together? Time to go. Now, God's ways, man's ways. When we are apart, don't go anywhere. What happens is our desires are educated, to use Joseph F. Smith's phrase, as our desires are educated, those desires come closer and closer and closer, and now our ways have become his ways. We've learned to do things his way. When those come together, now the contract is in force, and now we move. Does that make sense? Okay? So that's why I think that this is kind of an important thing that says part of this dividing my intent because quite honestly there are times I look at my intent and it's like they're not that good. Intents aren't that good. And I need him to educate me so that and, and as long as it's apart I shouldn't be going anywhere. I need to become like him. And that's part of what he's saying is you're going to get the word of God and part of what I'm educating you about Oliver is in my kingdom you probably won't get real rich but you will be very rich because you'll have eternal life and you're going to get treasures that I have for even the hidden treasures which are the mysteries right so how was he going to I got cut off didn't I this said how would Oliver know somehow that got left out. Okay. Let's go to... I love this. Uh, well, let's just read through this. Uh, verse 14. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Oliver... Because remember, what's the question? Am I supposed to translate Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Oliver, blessed art thou for what thou hast done, for thou hast inquired of me. You have already asked me. And behold, as often as thou hast inquired, thou hast, in the past, received instruction of my spirit. And then I love this little zinger here. If it had not been so, thou wouldst not have come to the place where thou art at that time. 
Oliver, why are you here? You're here, aren't you? Okay? And yet Oliver is in, and he's saying, you have been receiving revelations from me, and now you're seeking a revelation to find out if you got a revelation. You want inspiration to know if you had inspiration. And did, by the way, did he get it? Keep that in mind. There's a template there. I've gotten an answer to prayer. Am I entitled to get an inspiration to know that I got inspiration? Is the Lord willing to give us a revelation to know that we got a revelation? Yes. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Okay. So, you're here, aren't you, Oliver? Behold, thou knowest that thou hast inquired of me and did, and I did enlighten thy mind. And now I tell you these things that thou mayest know that thou hast been enlightened by the Spirit of Truth. Now, hop down for just a second to, to 22 and then we'll come back. And this is the one that we quote a lot and, and I just think this is wonderful. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you desire a further witness, do what? Cast your mind back to when? And that night, you cried unto him, and he hadn't told anybody. Mother Smith said he had a very powerful witness before he left to go down to Pennsylvania, but he hadn't told anybody. Cast your mind back. Uh, upon the night that you cried unto me in your heart, that you might know concerning the truth of these things, did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? And then the zinger, what greater witness can you have than from God? So, now let's, let's hop back up here. Is it a prompting or is it me? Yeah, right. And, and I think, and that's why that's why we're going back to this perfect question. Okay, back to fifteen. Thou knowest, thou hast inquired of me, and I did enlighten my mind. And now I tell you these things that thou mayest know that thou hast been enlightened by the Spirit of Truth. Um, if you put your finger there, um, if if we look over, and I'll just I'll just read it. You don't have to go. Third Nephi nine. I love the part where in the midst of the darkness of, of the, the destruction of the Nephites in 3 Nephi and the voice is speaking to them in the dark we get this little jam. Whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit him will I baptize with fire and the Holy Ghost even as the Lamanites. The Lamanites around the time of Lehi and Nephi uh, there in Helaman. Uh, because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion, they were baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost and they knew it not. Now, let's come back here. Oliver has had some experiences of where he's feeling in his bones that he needs to be in. He needs to come down to harmony and help Joseph. 
What's he asking? Was that of the Lord? The Lord is saying, yeah, it was. That was me. Now, how many Latter-day Saints, either in our own life or especially in the life of our kids, how many of them and how many of us may be getting answers to prayer, may be being led by the Spirit on a regular basis, and we don't know? And we're saying, I just don't know if I got an answer to prayer. And he's saying, I have been speaking to you all along. So the question is, for me, like Oliver and the Lamanites, could an, could an active Latter-day Saint be getting answers on a regular basis and not know it? Why? Why wouldn't they know that they're getting answers to prayers and, and think that they're not? Okay, help me to know that, that it's you. Okay, I think that's an important question. This is right now kind of something that I'm struggling with, this whole thing I'm praying about. Uh -huh. It makes me think about, I have a father who works on faith. Yeah. You know, and he'll give answers. Uh huh. But we have to have faith that we're receiving those answers and receiving confirmation from the Holy Ghost, which again requires faith. And, I, I think so. Yeah, and, Tim? Sometimes we're like a fish in water. We live there constantly without being aware of water. Is it possible that if you are... I, I think I've told the story before where I have... Uh, on my mission, I, I, uh, I helped in the rebaptism of a... Of a uh, a guy that had been excommunicated, uh, and remember, he he came to me and asked if I would perform the uh, give him the gift of the Holy Ghost, and he was having another guy come in to do the baptism. I said, "Wonderful, come do that." And he says, "I want you to give me the gift of the Holy Ghost." And I said, "Wonderful." And he goes, "No, mate, you don't get it. <laughs> That's the one I've been missing the most." He says, "You just have no idea when you are excommunicated." and the Holy Ghost is removed from you, what you will be missing. And he says, that I have missed like nothing. You know, I just, and I could tell the tangible difference when it was gone. And, and, that, and so to give him back the gift of the Holy Ghost was something that he had just been craving for years. Okay? Yeah. I think sometimes because it's stubborn. It, it's quiet. And yeah. It's right. Is it possible that we miss it? And we're talking about this and said, is it possible that we miss it because we're looking for something else? We're we're expecting a different answer. Yeah. I think a lot of times we we need to expect what we're gonna get. I think a lot of times we think, oh, don't know that they're promptings. That, I guess that's kind of where I'm going. Yep. I think my opinion is that the difference is 
when you first have the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is like outside of you and speaking to you. Uh -huh. When he comes inside of you and becomes part of you, like you were talking about the thoughts combined, uh -huh. then he does more quickening of you. Like, instead of it being an interruption of your thoughts with the right. Holy Ghost, always oh, interrupting, you know, wham, you know, which is, then it's more he quickens you, and you, you presume a lot of times that almost that it's you, because it's yeah. so inside of you, it makes you more powerful. Then it, it's... I, see, part of this, too, remember, let's go back to what we said last time. Why did, all, why did Joseph need the Urim and Thummim? Training wheels. Teaching him what revelation would feel like when he would know that it was hitting and kind of and training him spiritually to know what. That's why by the end of the process, didn't even use the Urim and Thummim, didn't need it. He was the Urim and Thummim. Yeah? I think part of it, you know, part of the Yeah. And you go forward and you do the best you can, and then months later you found out that was the most inspired. Yeah. Thing that and it just seemed like it was a reflective kind of thing. You need to do this, you need to do that. You're just kind of going on faith and hoping that you're receiving the inspiration. And he does send it. And I don't know why he doesn't make it more clear in the act or at the time, but later on it's definitely. Clear. And you can see the hand of it, yeah. It's a matter of getting up, tuning ourselves, and, and getting more used to this. Yeah. I was going to say, I knew somebody that made this statement, and just very, very, to me, on her with the gospel. She said, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing until I'm told otherwise. Because she was just so focused, you know, living the gospel. Hang on, hang on to that one for a sec. Let, let me... Uh, couple of things to, to go along with that because in my mind that's a blessing and a curse there's the two-edged sword because we can get caught up in doing things our way and we're not asking and even and sometimes people will say I've been thinking I should be doing this for a while or I've had this nagging thought and they don't always attribute that to the spirit okay Elder Bednar as we gain experience with the Holy Ghost we learn that the intensity with which we feel the spirit's influence is not always the same. Strong, dramatic, spiritual impressions do not come to us frequently. And yet, it feels like a big answer. We should be getting a big response spiritually, shouldn't we? I want fireworks. I want explosions. I want angels. I want a sign. And then I remember, and, and I, I can't remember which Alan Ward it was that I spoke in like eight years ago, something like that, and asked me to come speak on promptings or me. Well, I did again, but I mean originally, I don't know if it was the third one. Um, and finally I said, 
people come up to me afterwards and say, after I got done, and, and they said, you know what? We've been trying to use the Holy Ghost as a backstop to make sure we never make mistakes. In other words, we want the pro our, our goal in life is not to make any mistakes, because they believed that it wasn't about grace, it was about their works. Okay? So I'm trying to use the Holy Ghost to make sure I don't make mistakes. So therefore, I don't dare move until I, got, I get an answer, uh, because, not because I'm trying to follow the Lord, but because I just don't want to make mistakes. I'm kind of a perfectionist, and that seems to be like the spiritual way to be a spiritual perfectionist. When my oldest daughter, Jennifer, she left the church for a while. She has four kids. She came back. She, before she came back to church, she had been baptized in a Presbyterian church or whatever. Her oldest daughter, who's three years old, comes running down the aisle or whatever, whatever you call this part. And, the aisle. The aisle, okay. <laughs> and the, her kids had not been raised LDS as of yet at that time. The little girl goes, Mommy, this is the wrong church, wrong church. Oh. <laughs> and the minister said to my daughter Jennifer, could you please remove your children because they are too loud. Wow. And Jennifer left and now she's back. <laughs> we appreciate the that's, that's interesting. Even as we strive to be faithful and obedient, there simply are times when the direction, assurance, and peace of the Spirit are not readily recognizable in our lives. See, I work under the assumption that if I am working, for instance, in my counseling practice, with an active striving to keep the commandment, Latter-day Saint. I work off the assumption that you're getting far more answers than you give yourself credit for. Because he's leading you and guiding you. But because it isn't more spit and polished and fire and angels, that sometimes you miss it. Now, why does that happen? Well, I've done... Let, let me share something that I've, I've shared. Most of you, if you've ever heard me speak, have heard me probably do this, but let me in this context just remind, remind us again. Um, it, sometimes when you're looking at personality types, and we have like, well, I'm a gold, well, I'm a blue, but I'm purple. I'm tall. Hi, I'm plaid, thank you. Or, I'm a turtle, and he's a rabbit, so we're just trying to, okay. I try to keep it really simple for other, you know, I can what is a red and yellow? Is that because he's a blue? That's what. Um, so here, here's my personality types. And I want you to think of them in terms of getting answers to prayers. Okay? Spirituality. Okay? First of all, we have talkers. Okay? And talkers are obviously socializers. They're friend-oriented. Uh, if you go into their office or their room, it's disorganized. There's lots of pictures of people, okay, friends. Uh, a lot of times you see jobs in sales or marketing or receptionists or people, you know, skills kind of thing, okay? Now, but I want you to look at it in terms of spiritual strength. What spiritual strength might a talker have? I think one of them is their openness. 
open us to feel feelings. And when the Spirit is going to speak, they tend to be more open emotionally. Okay? Now, is there a spiritual weakness, especially when it comes to getting answers to prayers, for, for a talker? Don't hold still. Don't hold still long enough. <laughs> You, you may not be listening. Who are you listening to? Yourself. Yourself. And? Come on, ladies. Ladies, this is not a guy, not so much on our side. This is the lady thing. If you're wanting to get an answer to prayer, you have a dilemma, what are you going to do? Phone a friend. <laughs> and call your sister. And then call another friend. And then call another sister. You're trying to gather information. Okay. I don't know if I should be doing this, but I got five votes for yes and two to say you're not. And now I'm more confused than I ever have been. And the other part of that has to do with comparisons. As a people person, you may have a tendency to sit and listen in sacrament meeting to somebody say, in our life, the Spirit is all, you know, I will pray, and then as I'll, I wait on my knees, and I'll wait there for a long time, and then the words form in my mind, and then I know what I'm supposed to do. And then if you're a talker, you have a tendency to do what? That's the answer. I'm supposed to do it that way. That's my problem. That's why I don't get answers to prayers. Because I, I keep getting it in my car while I'm driving, and I'm not supposed to be getting in my car while I'm driving. I'm supposed to be staying on my knees until words actually form in my brain, because it's like, that's what... That's what Sister Ragsdale is doing, and I want to be like her. <laughs> but we end up comparing and trying to say, because it's not happening for me, I, mean, I want to be like somebody else. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. And so one of the problems is that we're waiting for somebody else's style of answers, rather than sp spending a little bit more time to say, how do I get answers? How does my spiritual machinery work? And that may be different from Sister Ragsdale. Okay. Then we have thinkers. And these are analyzers. They're object-oriented. They want to look at, at things. Their office tends to be cluttered because they're like tearing things. They like to tear things apart and dig in and organize it. Uh, these are the, when they, they're kids, they drive their primary teachers nuts because they go, why? I don't understand that. Tell me why that is. Well, that's the way we've always done that. Why? Okay. So, engineers, computer software, CPA, attorneys. Okay, then fall into this. Uh, perfectionists, OCD. No, that's coming. Hold on to that one. That's connected over here. Okay. But they want to know why. Now, spiritual strength. Understanding. When they understand something, they really understand it. They tear the Book of Mormon apart, and they understand all that, and it just makes beautiful, perfect sense to them. The Book of Mormon, one of the testaments of the Book of Mormon, is it holds up to all the thinkers in the church who have an honest intent to know. The thinkers that want to tear the Book of Mormon apart because they're tied into worldly stuff will see flaws in morals. Okay? But to really tear the Book of Mormon apart, you Okay, so their spiritual strength is an understanding. Spiritual weakness. Their spiritual weakness? Oh yeah. Gonna analyze the heck out of that. And 
tell you they don't trust the prompting. I, I, I've told the story once that in our in, in our Relief Society once I did a personality thing and then I divided all the women up in, in this Relief Society thing to talkers, in this corner, doers, thinkers, and planners. Okay? And then that's it. Okay, one, two, three, go. Everybody hits their corners. Except for three ladies <laughs> who, who came up to me and they're like, we don't know where we go. <laughs> you're thinkers <laughs> and you haven't had three days to figure it out. <laughs> and analyze and gather the data to assume that you're probably a thinker. <laughs> Go to your corner. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> okay. That is the problem with those that think is they will overanalyze this thing. And especially those who will see, and, and brethren, this seems to be more of a problem with us. Brethren that are thinkers tend to see the spirit as emotion and they don't want to be emotional. And the spirit is not emotion. It is a separate, enlivening, intelligent. Now there may be an emotional reaction. Yes, but I see people cry when they're feeling the spirit. Yeah, that's the reaction. That wasn't the spirit. Now talkers sometimes think, you're not feeling the spirit unless you're sobbing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, talkers, ooh, we got talkers, thinkers, doers, these are your achievers, they're accomplishment oriented, uh, they have pictures of themselves with famous people. They have the, uh, the ego wall. Uh, they want to be bossed. They want to be in charge. They need control. Needs to happen. Come on. Spiritual strength. Action. Prompting comes. I don't need any more information. Let's move. Let's roll. Let's get it. Let's make it happen. Okay? This is why sometimes I sit in. We have a, a very prominent doer in our board council meeting. And sometimes... You know, as a high councilman, I'm sitting in on our board council meetings, and we're droning on and on about something or other, and the doer in the room is looking at me like, And so obviously their spiritual <laughs> spiritual weakness would be what? Patience. <laughs> well, you're going to have to wait on the Lord. And, and obsessive compulsive people in the room They'll, you'll love this one they're the organizers I want to be involved in the war dinner but I don't want to have to be the one to emcee I'll just organize the thing and I want to stay in the kitchen and do all this kind of stuff and everything keep me out of the line left and I will do that okay and then I want to kind of quietly slink out of the building afterwards without any kind of recognition 
Their process oriented, it's about the process, begin to organize it. Yeah, uh, the socks are probably folded. <laughs> Good chance. Or, by the way, it's the absolute opposite, because if they're going to start to organize, then it will take too long to go organize anything. It drives them nuts, they're depressed, they're anxious. But, I, but if it's going to be done, it has to be done perfectly. So that, okay? They make wonderful office managers, programmers. So they get migraines and they have to take a break. <laughs> uh, spiritual strength. The, those of you who are planners, you will serve until you draw. Because that's when you feel your best. And, and, and people are blessed by your service. And the things that you do. Because your, your brain is thinking, who's going to need help? I'm going to be there to take care of this. Is there a weakness? Yeah, spontaneity. As it is with thinkers, thinkers and planners, that's why I have them on the bottom part of this, when it comes to getting a prompting or an answer to prayer, sometimes you have a hard time acting on the spur of the moment because it takes you out of time. I have five things planned this morning. I don't have time to go do this. I have to throw off, I have to get rid of the plan completely. Is that a, now, I'll tell you where that's a real problem, by the way. It, it comes to you, planners, when you teach. I have my entire lesson for Relief Society organized, color-coded, and, and all of my candy canes glued to papers and stuff, ready to hand out with the wonderful quote that I searched for three days from this book from C.S. Lewis. I'll be handing it out. What happens to you on Sunday morning if the Spirit says, go another direction? Yeah, but I have candy canes. <laughs> I can't do that. And sometimes the spirits will say, drop your plans and take your kids and go to the zoo. They need time with you. I just think, and, and we just have to recognize that for each one of us, our personality sometimes is one of the reasons we don't recognize answers. Because it, it's, it's us getting in us as And if you can recognize what your weaknesses are, then you can start to work on it and say, Heavenly Father, help me to be more spontaneous. Or Heavenly Father, help me to, to trust myself more instead of having to call five friends and three sisters uh, and, then, and then read general authority talks in the next podcast. Let me trust that I already know. Okay? All right. <laughs> yes, sir. I got a comment on this. Yeah, I'll bet you will. <laughs> <laughs> Elder Mikey Peterson came to our mission and gave this yeah. speech. Cool. <laughs> I, yeah, that's where I got it. He, he was, I think he was on a roll here. <laughs> with this, but I think this is really important. Uh, okay, let me just put it out here. Here's the 
other reason we don't get answers, and I think it's the, in my mind, it is the single number one reason why so many members of the church don't get answers to prayer. If you look, part of this is, if you'll hop over to DNC 9 for a second, you guys ought to have all this memorized. And I realize this is going to go counter to what sometimes you hear. Uh, DNC 9, 7 through 9. Who's got that? But this is, especially if you're a thinker or a planner, here is your blueprint for answers to prayers. 9, 7 through 9. Stacy, you got that? Behold, you have not understood, yet suppose that I would give it unto you when you took no thought that it was to ask you. But behold, I say unto you that you must study it out in your mind, then you must ask me if it be right, and if it is right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you, therefore you shall feel that it is right. But if it be not right, you shall have no such feelings, but you shall have a stupor of thought that shall cause you to forget the thing which is wrong. Therefore, you cannot write that which is sacred, save it be given you from me. Yeah. There's a problem. Because from this we get the blueprint that we hear so often. And I call that's why I call this the confirmation myth. That there are people within the church, Oliver being one, and this is how the Spirit worked with him. He would study it out in his mind. If he got a stupor, that's a no. If he got a burning, that was a yes. But that was his gift. And, then, and then read the last line again, Stacy. Because he's specifically he's saying in what context? The very last one. You cannot write that which is sacred how many of you are writing scripture? How many of you are writing that which is sacred coming from him? That's scripture. How many of you are doing that? Then is it possible that super or burning is not for you? That's not how it works for you. It worked for Oliver in translating. If you left, now I have run into people, but some people that is their spiritual gift. That's way in the minority. For most of us, the stupor and burning thing is not going to work because that's not us. I get answers when I'm driving in my car. I don't get answers by burning or stupor. And I'm, I'm in a red. And if I were to ask, and I won't, how many of you by raising hand have had the burning in the bosom as, as it's supposed to happen in Moroni like 10, 4 and 5? Most of you would say you never have. And I've run into way too many people who said, I don't have a testimony in the Book of Mormon because I never had the burning. Well, that's not your gift. Most of us won't have a burning. But we get caught up in this and say, I don't have a testimony. Or so we get caught telling the youth that this is how you're going to know you have the Spirit. This is how you get an answer about where you're going to go to college. Or, or whether you should marry this guy or not. It's going to be a super or burning thing. Yes, if you're translating the Book of Mormon. Maybe not so much if you're trying to find out the And that's why it is when, when Marty Peterson came to our mission as well, Tim, and, and blew our, our little spiritual approach out of the water that we were very happy with, he said, yeah, there's only problem with that is that this was given to Oliver Cowdery who was attempting to translate the Book of Mormon, and it's not applicable generally to the rest of the church. We were trying to tell investigators the stupor or burning thing, and then wondering why so many times we'd go back and the Book of Mormon would be hanging in a baggie on the door. 
Well, I never got the burning thing, therefore it must not be true. We say, well, just pray more. The burning thing is supposed to happen. <laughs> I feel really good when I read it, there's no burning. Well, that's not an answer. It's supposed to be the burning. No, they were getting answers. And so were you. You're getting answers on a regular basis. <clears throat> um, Dallin Oaks. I know from experience that some seasoned members of the church do not know when they are receiving a witness of the Spirit. Perhaps lifelong members of the church don't recognize the testimony of the Spirit because they have it so often, they take it for granted. Perhaps they're looking for something startling and different. I've heard adult members of the church claim they do not have a testimony because they never experienced a burning in the bosom. If I thought the scriptural burning referred to caloric heat, I would have to say that I've never had a burning in the bosom either. In this usage, it does not seem to refer to heat, but rather an intensity of feelings. For me, it isn't a burning. It's a sense of security. Yeah. A sense of feeling of peace. I, I like that. Yeah, a sense of security, a sense of peace. And that's going to be more a sense of calm that when it settles in, it's like, this is it. Now again, based on our personality type, when we get that feeling, I don't know if you're going to phone a friend or try and analyze it or what you're going to do with that, but that's the answer. And that's why I think we get far more answers and we're directed on a regular basis more than we know. Yeah. Why did that, that myth get so fostered when it goes completely against the Joseph Smith first vision experience? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was actually doing, was I was looking at some, some references on this. This has been preached in General Conference a couple of times. Particularly if you go back about 50 years. Uh, and, and, it gets, and because of that, it gets perpetuated, I think, over the pulpit a lot. And, and, and that's why I keep having people asking me, I just don't know what a super feels like. Well, it may not have anything. You might never, not ever have a super. Okay? See, that's why you guys have heard me give this analogy before. Can you imagine, again, if, if the children of Israel are up against the Red Sea, and they're going, okay, we studied it out, we should go north. Burning your super. <laughs> super, okay, I guess we're supposed to go south. Burning your super. Super. No, we can't go back. The, the chariots are right behind us. There's a sea in front of us. And we're getting a super north and a super south. We don't know where to go from here. I guess we study it out more. What was the problem? There was nothing in their experience that said, have the Lord send a big wind and part the Red Sea. And then drown them when the Egyptians try to follow. Yeah. I think, I think it's burning in the adjective form. In the adjective form of the word burning, there's a burning issue. When you when you get a testimony, you know the import. The imp, it's not you just feel that drive. Yes, and as an adjective, that's the good. burning works perfectly well. I, I, I like that. And as a noun, you want torture, you want fire. <laughs> we want, I want flames, yeah. and there are no flames. Okay. For me, the witness of the Holy Ghost is an intense feeling of serenity or well-being. Okay, now, let me just finish with this and then we're done. 
Can't you see? It's, it's, uh, I know. You know, if you have to explain the picture, it would be wrong. It's a hand with some seeds. The law of the harvest is real. We cannot gather crops in the fall. See, we're planting in the fall. Which we did not properly plant and cultivate during the spring and summer. We cannot realistically expect to recognize big promptings if we consistently fail to heed small ones. Thus, revelation from our Heavenly Father comes most frequently in small increments and like all knowledge, is granted according to our preparation. Misguided attempts to get spiritually supercharged through unusually long prayers, lengthy and unwise fasting, and intensive short-term temple attendance certainly are no substitute for gradual, consistent, conscientious attention to the promptings of the Holy Ghost. And sometimes I'll see that I'm not getting an answer, so I'm going to go to the temple every single day, and I'm going to pray around the clock, and I will weary the Lord until He busts through and gives me an answer because I'm driving Him nuts. Does not the intent of that parable. Had nothing to do with wearying the Lord. But that's what happens. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, is that I believe that part of it, if you listen to Oliver's experience, this is a man with a good intent and a good heart that had been prepared who was doing what he was supposed to do. He showed up where he was supposed to be. The Lord inspired him. The Lord was giving him direction. And he did not know it. It took a revelation and an inspiration from God to tell him he was getting the answer he was getting. And I believe that we're all times that way. I think you're being guided and directed and blessed and prompted constantly. And if you will just allow yourself to stop and stand still and let the Lord teach you Again, you will find out that you were getting the answers on a more consistent basis than you had any idea. That's your spiritual gift. Uh, the Lord loves you, wants to direct you. Let Him do it. I think it would make, make your life a lot more better. And I think that would be a good thing to say.